Welcome to the 23rd episode of Sound the Foghorn. I am your host, as always, Mark DeLuke. And today I am very excited uh, to have a special guest, Therese Vignal. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Mark. How are you? Uh, you know, Giants won last night, so I'm in a great mood right now. Yeah. They took one off the Padres. So I think, you know, we were saying this earlier, you catch me on whatever day it is. If it's after a Giants loss, I'm doing terrible. And if they won, I'm on, I'm on cloud nine, especially when it's against the Padres. <laughs> yeah, we're recording this on Tuesday before the game, and this will be released on Wednesday after Aaron Sanchez versus you Darvish. So this might be a little t- a jarring Yeah, so don't talk to fans. me tomorrow, <laughs> which is why I'm in a great mood now. <laughs> But yeah, so so the Giants, you know, let's start there. They start you know the season. They're now two and two after you know uh, dropping the series to the Mariners, as you mentioned, winning the series opener against the Padres. Obviously, it's four games. It's a small sample, but you know, in our business, that's when we get paid to read into small samples. You know, have you had any kind of major <laughs> takeaways from the these first few games? Anything you know on, on either side of the spectrum? You know, it's been surprising that the Giants are all of a sudden a a hitting team, uh, a solo home run hitting (laughs) team. Uh, One of the stats that came to fruition last night was the Giants lead uh, the majors with, or they're tied actually for with nine home runs as of Monday night. And I was like, let's just freeze this moment in time and savor this. Even though if you look at all the other stats, like my friend Cole Kuiper pointed out, uh, they lack <laughs> tremendously in the amount of runs that are scored compared to the other like four teams that are right behind them. But, you know, they're, they're swinging the bat, they're hitting balls. Um, they just need to get a few more guys on base to really drive in some runs. Uh, but that's been some of the biggest surprise I've seen so far. You know, obviously everyone wants to woe and woe is me about the bullpen and does Kapler know how to run a bullpen? But like you said in the beginning, it's very small sample size. And from what I've seen the last few games after opening night, they, the bullpen is, you know, picked themselves up and got themselves together. And we've seen better outings from, from, you know, those guys that kind of blew up on opening night. So not losing faith in the bullpen. Uh, I do, I do like McGee though. He's looking, he's looking pretty good as, as the closer, even though he's not dubbed the closer just yet, but he pretty much is right. Right. Yeah, he, he's got to be. I mean, Kapler has insisted on not naming a closer, but I feel like it's been a pretty standard. That's been the one thing, right? It was it was got and then he kind of blew up and then it kind of moved to Watson unless it was a back to back last season. I feel like as much as he's talked about uh, and, you know, in the in the middle innings and in the setup roles, you've kind of seen him be a lot less rigid. But I feel like the closer spot's been one that's mm-hmm. actually been pretty steady, um, even as he hasn't necessarily gone out ever named one. Yeah. And it makes you wonder if it's something like, should it be more like the core four, like where you have a designated inning and Mm -hmm. you know that you're coming in the seventh, you're coming in the eighth, you're the setup man, you're, you're the closer in the ninth, you know, you're the desert, you're the person that comes in if they go to extras, but Kapler's not running that kind of system right now. It's kind of a figure out the situation and, and then put somebody in and hope it works out for three batters at least. Cause you can't get them. You can't just do pitcher for batter in, in those kind of circumstances anymore. Cause at least you got to wait three, but I'm wondering if not knowing a role is playing a part in maybe lack, not lack of confidence, just, just not 
knowing your place and knowing like, this is, this is what I have ownership over. And this is like, this is me. This is who I come out. And this is when I come and do my work. And this, I, I own this role on the team, but Hey, I'm not, I'm not a manager of a major league baseball team and nor do I play one on TV. So what, you know, I can just sit on my couch and make these kind of speculations, but as a former collegiate athlete myself, sometimes knowing your, your role on the team can give you more confidence when you are in those situations, because you know, that, you know, that, that situation in and out all the time. Yeah. And I, I think I was on 95, seven, uh, this weekend and, and they asked me about the bullpen and I kind of feel similarly in that. I think there could, they could use some more rigidity, but I think also part of it is just the personnel, right? They kind of have, I, I like the bullpen again. I've been someone who's been really complimentary of the front office in terms of what they did this off season, bringing in depth at the major and upper minor league level. Like, you know, we saw kind of the Leone Leones and Trapeanos in, in spring training. And there's a number of other guys who will end up you know, at AAA, who I think, you know, give them a really good amount of depth in the bullpen where, you know, if things, if, you know, let's say Matt Whistler didn't bounce back from his opening day, right. And it was something where in, you know, three to, you know, a month or so they had to look for another option that they probably have that in the system now in a way that they, nece- they haven't necessarily in the past. But I do think there is a pretty clear delineation where unlike kind of the core four, to me, they have a lot of guys who are like really good middle relievers, like fringe setup guys, you know, kind of made for that sixth, seventh inning role in the more traditional bullpen. Mm-hmm. And then you have one guy in McGee who can, who's kind of built for the eighth or ninth inning. And so I think Cap was also kind of caught in this place well, where, you know, he could try committing to one guy, but I don't know necessarily if any one player is worthy of the confidence to be like, you're going to get the eighth inning if we have a lead. Mm-hmm. I think that's also what's kind of forcing him to, to, to make these moves. And again, I kind of have some, you know, quibbles here and there with his moves, but I do think given what we've seen with what he's done with McGee, I think if he had a second high leverage arm, he'd say, all right, this guy's, if Maranta say was pitching like he was in 2019, right. I think he'd be pretty comfortable going, all right, Reyes, uh, you know, you're my eighth or ninth inning guy and Jake, you're the other inning, whichever one I go with. And it's just mm-hmm. right now he hasn't seen someone, you know, do what anything close to what McGee's done. Yeah. And again, it's been four games. So also, time will tell maybe at the end of this month, it'll be, you know, maybe we'll get the, the Maranta experience again. Yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll see him come to fruition after his shoulder surgery he had in September of uh, 2019, I think, or something mm-hmm. like that. But he's still, he's still, it seems like he's still pulling it together. Um, he was a little bit of a roller coaster in spring, like came out hot and then it was like, Ooh, not so great. Um, so maybe he's just working, working out some kinks. And, uh, like you said, maybe it will be someone like Maranta or maybe Whistler that take over the eighth inning ownership of that kind of situation, but, uh, still super, super early on, which, which leads me into, uh, one of my other things, cause people are, were going a little bit, you know, worrying about Mike Yastrzemski and <laughs> where at what we're seeing with him at the plate. Cause he started off the first series yep. where he went one for 13 of a, a, a Baker's dozen, not so great, but, and then you put him in on Monday night as a pinch hitter and he hits a solo shot. So hopefully, uh, you know, maybe the hand's still playing a part of uh, how he's batting. Um, I'm guessing obviously it does. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not losing, still remembering that it's very early on guys like Mike Estremchi are going to, you know, come through you, you you hope 
you hope as a Giants fan that the bullpen kind of sorts itself out, but it wouldn't be Giants torture without a little bit of, you know, making you sit on the edge of your seat and yeah. bite off all your fingernails. Just just a little bit of panic, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I think we're kind of, you kind of have to wait, I'd say at least a month, right? Before you kind of look past last season's numbers, right? Like, I feel like this is a situation too with, whether it's Yastrzemski or frankly, even like, you know, Longoria's hot start. Although I've been someone who's, you know, thought Longoria has been pretty unlucky the last couple of years and was due for somewhat of a bounce back, but still, right. Like, I think we're at the point where it's like, all right, you know, let's let this play out for a bit. Let's, you know, our expectations should still be based pretty heavily off of last year, unless, you know, again, on the pitching side, it can change if someone has like a new pitch or they, they gain velocity, but you know, we haven't seen anything um, mm-hmm. too much, too much like that from, from any of the giants um so far but you know I do want to bring it back to the offensive side you mentioned the solo home runs you know this has always been you know uh, starting last year it's not always but this has been you know from last year looking ahead to this year a lineup built on depth right you know it is uh has been an above average offense looks like and you know I I think most Giants fans said it, it had to be expected to be an above average offense even though they're you know Yastrzemski obviously played like a star last year, but I think it'd be reasonable for someone to say, you know, people are skeptical that Yastrzemski will keep up his play from last year. Not that he won't be an above average player, just that, you know, mm-hmm. him maintaining MVP caliber play might not have necessarily been something that was expected for this year. I think similar to say about Brandon Belt, right? So it's a lineup built up above mm-hmm. average hitters. And thus far, it's kind of played the opposite of it did, I felt like, because last year I felt like it played where, the the depth of the lineup was getting on base. They were they were getting hits and occasionally hitting the home run. And so far this year, it's it's been again like a living off of the solo homer. And obviously that's a heavy like cluster luck thing. But what kind of do mm-hmm. you expect this offense to be? Like, do you think it's going to be kind of a, a similar caliber to last season? Do you think because of not having a DH and, and other things that that will kind of lead it? to be a, a bit below those levels, or do you think it, it has a chance to exceed what it was last year? You know, after watching how patient a lot of them are mm-hmm. taking their pitches this year um, and, and working, working the count, like they're being, they're obviously have gone in the off season and have been like, okay, we're going to tell the guys to start this Kapler and his crew is like, we're going to start looking for specific pitches and we're going to be picky. And you could, you could see that in the first series, that they were being particular about what they were going to swing at um, and not just swing at, you know, anything and everything. So it, it would, it made you think like, okay, they're going to be pretty particular. And that was pretty successful when they had those six runs. We won't talk about the rest of the game. Um, <laughs> the seven runs that they had, <laughs> excuse me, I forgot about Dickerson there for a second. Um, but you could, you could tell that they, are bringing some offense with them again, small sample size, but I I think it's going to be as productive, if not more productive, because that's that patience is going to, to pay off. We'll actually see if it pays off when, you know, they start facing pitchers that hit in the higher nineties, if they can actually make contact with those kind of pitches, but at least like on base percentage should be going up and we should be seeing more production um, hopefully with, with runs, you know, being, yeah. being added into that as well. Um, it's just, it just seems like some guys are, are, are still kind of sorting it out a little bit like Austin Slater 
Um, hopefully, we'll, it, it is looking like he's he's getting it together. Um, Yastrzemski, obviously. Uh, but one of the guys that's the hottest hitter on the team is Donnie Barrels, Donovan Solano, where it's like, you know, you got to hope that that um, carries over to the rest of the guys. They see him, you know, just get hit after hit after hit and get on base. Uh, so hopefully that that just spreads to some more of the other players. They see him get on base, you know, start bringing in some more some more runs. Uh, on that as well. So in a roundabout way to answer your question, I'm still very optimistic. We're only four games in, so I'm hoping uh, and believe it's going to be as good as last year, maybe even a, a little bit better. Yeah, I think the the DH is kind of the the one kind of negative wrinkle just because, again, they were able to take advantage of that to you know maximize kind of the depth of their offensive roster. But at the same time, you know, they obviously have an immediate upgrade at catcher, you know, with Posey, you know, over the production they got from Trump and Bart and Heineman last year. And, you know, even behind Posey, you know, Kirk Casale probably would have started 40, you know, 40, 45 games for this team last season had mm-hmm. he been in, in San Francisco. So, you know, already um, improved depth there. And then you, you have someone, you know, Solano has been playing over Tommy Listella, but that also just adds another wrinkle, some more depth to the bench. And I think that that can add value too, especially as we're looking at, you know, looking down the barrel of 162 game season, something these guys now haven't done, you know, in, in two years, it still is a relatively older lineup. And I think for someone like Evan Longoria, even for someone possibly like Solano, you know, as we get to that 130, 140, you know, game threshold, I think having someone like Lestella could also be incredibly valuable. And even if, uh, these players get off to hot hot starts if they start to wear down or just get tired. Lestella's someone who you know gives them a better option to be able to. All right, you're there's a tough righty on the mound today. You know we can, we can put Lestella in the lineup and and hopefully mm-hmm. help everyone's production be even better throughout the year. Yeah, it, it you mentioned this earlier. If anything, they have they have depth and and versatility. Guys can play multiple positions and there's more than one guy that can play those positions. So this team is built to, to last uh, the 162 games, this, uh, whether that some of those guys are going to be brought up from, you know, the farm system if, if needed, but right now with the guys that they have, as long as they keep being picky and keep uh, getting on base and, you know, start hitting when they are supposed to be hitting, they're going to be, you know, at least there's a good rotation of guys to just kind of continue the the momentum of hitting and keep it going. I mean, Flora is playing first base uh, for Brandon Belt. I, there's been times where we're like, you know, who's a viable option to play at first that can still at least hit. Um, and Flores is actually panning out there pretty well right now. So yeah. just going back to y- your point, the, the depth of this team, uh, I really think it's going to help pay out in the end. Yeah. And, you know, obviously um, it, there's also kind of a, a secondary, you know, benefit may not be the right word for it, but right. You know, injuries are going to happen as the season goes on and the giants are because of that, you know, the drop off from, you know, again, if belt did have to miss a couple of weeks, right. The drop off from belt to a potential like Flores and Listella or Flores and I guess Jason Boster platoon or something like that. Like they also have kind of this built in security isn't the right word, but, you know, safety net where, you know, 
again, you would obviously rather have like Fernando Tatis, right? But the Padres are in a position <laughs> where, you know, he goes down yesterday and the drop off, like what they're going to lose in production is something it's going to be much harder to make up for. Now, obviously you would rather have a player like that in the lineup, but there is also this kind of secondary, I guess this one kind of ancillary benefit where because you're not relying on any one player, because you don't necessarily have this star production, it also means that you have a little insurance where your offense should be able to handle, you know, an injury here or there. You shouldn't be able to, you shouldn't really feel that too much because you have all this versatility and flexibility. Obviously, you know, Farnsady is hoping he gets to the point where he is relying on stars of that caliber. But for now, you know, he also has this where it's like, all right, I have this offense, I have these pieces, and I think we can maintain it even with the rigors and injuries that could come. Yeah. If anything, we've learned is uh, Farhan knows how to play chess yep. and knows how to maneuver pieces into other positions. Um, and for for some people that like the old school style of how Giants baseball was, of course, they're like up in arms about this. But I'm I'm liking what the mastermind is doing and the behind behind closed doors here. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I was someone who's again, the Mike Dostromsky in center field, uh, experiment of sorts has never been one I've been high on, but I've been really impressed with what Slater has done in center. And I think that's a pretty, um, big development for the team, you know, being, you know, again, his bat last season, obviously the injury kind of overshadowed it, but I mean, he had an OPS over 900. I mean, this was a, a really productive mm-hmm. hitter, obviously in that like 29 game sample or whatever it was, but <laughs> You know, if he, you know, what we saw in spring training, and he's obviously given us flashes, you know, throughout his minor league career, if he's able to play center field um, to something that I don't think many people expected, that that's a huge, um, you know, benefit for the organization. And obviously, you know, gives them even more versatility to, all right, now, you know, we can afford to move, uh, you know, Dubon to, to shortstop to give Crawford a day off and, and you get even more um, flexibility in the lineup. So I've, uh, that's been, I think, quietly one of the best developments for the team because you know I think a lot of people were wondering where well who's your backup center fielder and if you don't really have a backup center fielder what's that mean for the backup shortstop spot and Slater a, a looking comfortable in center I think just opens up a, a whole avenue of, of other options for Kapler yeah and you just kind of have to hope that there's no major injury mm-hmm. to either Slater or Dubon because then then we're or, you know, I guess if you're an Elliot Ramos fan, you're kind of hoping for something to pan out there, but <laughs> no, no ill will on either one of those players. But I agree with you. I, I love, uh, I love Austin Slater as a player. I've been rooting for him to do well. Um, so I am, I'm all for uh, Slater doing, doing well, finding a place, you know, being able to play multiple positions, you know, outfield. And he was even working in the infield during spring training as well. So He's realized that I've got to be able to do wear multiple hats here and be productive and at any position that they put me in, in order to, you know, to keep, to keep on this team, to keep, to keep things going here. But I, I, I think it just also seems like he's solidified his spot as like one of those like go-to utility guys that they can count on. Yeah. And so kind of flipping uh, this conversation a bit, we, you know, we talked about the lineup we've touched on the bullpen. And I think, you know, the lineup is flush with depth and proven big league options, guys who were good last season, players who've been good uh, or at least productive for some time. And then we look at the starting rotation. That really isn't the case, right? You have a number of players who've been successful at various points in their careers, 
But, you know, when you're looking at even players like Cueto or Aaron Sanchez or Alex Wood, you know, there's some time, whether it be because of injury or just poor play uh, or poor performances, that they're far removed from um, that. And I think most people, you know, rightfully, you know, were skeptical and, and critical or not critical, but just skeptical of you know, this unit uh, unit's potential. But um, again, we've only gotten one start from each guy, except Aaron Sanchez, who's obviously slated to go tonight. But I have been pleasantly surprised with what I've seen from the starters. You know, Gaussman was the person who was supposed to be the ace. So I think most, you know, expected to, to replicate his success from 2020 and say needed him to. He looked, you know, very much like that pitcher um, in game one. But, you know, Cueto and Webb both looked better than I'd seen them in a while. And I realized even though they didn't have like dominant outings, I came away relatively, you know, cautiously optimistic. And frankly, even Di Sclafani, and I haven't watched him, you know, went that much when he was in Cincinnati. So I don't really have a good comparison. But, you know, and, why, all, and why would you? Who, yeah. who watches Cincinnati Reds? Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> unless it's, you know, unless it's a certain NLDS. Unless you're from Cincinnati, but anywho. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, Um, so, you know, they've all been missing bats more than I expected them to, you know, again, the kind of, you can see with all three, you know, at times the, they need to have command to a certain level and at times that comes and goes, but, you know, I've been pleasantly surprised with what I've seen uh, from all three of that group. And and it's made me a bit more optimistic about what this rotation can be. I'm curious, you know, where do you kind of stand and what do you expect to see? I'm right there with you. I'm I'm definitely optimistic. I was, I will say this. I was a little disappointed with, uh, I was, I was hoping for a little bit better from, from Webb Mm -hmm. just because I I, I like that. I like Webby. I I want the kid to do well. Um, and especially the kind of spring season that he had. He was so dominant in the preseason. he was so great. So I, I, you know, spring training only matters when you want it to matter. Right. And then it doesn't matter when you don't want it to matter. And yeah. so I really wanted it to matter for, for Logan Webb. Um, but unfortunately he just came off a little too predictable at that changeup for some of the batters, but I'm, I'm hoping it's something he can, he can hone in on or get sorted out and we can, we can round out that rotation with, um, some, you know, four legit, starters would be would be would be nice and uh almost uh resemblant of giants of old right mm-hmm. where we were known as like a a pitching team a pitching ballpark but um seeing what i've seen from the guys uh i i missed the Quato shake so it was nice to see the shimmy <laughs> shake back and it was uh it was nice to see uh D. Scalfani. Every time I say that name, I think of Gwen Stefani. And the first thing that comes to my head is the woo, that thing from her song. Like every time I was like, oh my gosh. Um, but he, I, I didn't know what to expect of him, like you said, because he played for the Reds and he watches the Reds. So I was, I was optimistic in his, in his outing. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised by how well he got out of jams in that yeah. game against the Padres. Like, so that was, that was really reassuring to see that he just kind of dug in there and was able to get out of it, uh, out of the jam. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see if we can find our, our consistent fifth starter, but, um, I am, I am genuinely optimistic, uh, just hoping that maybe we can work out a few kinks for Webb so he can, he can just be a solid go-to in this rotation. Yeah, and you mentioned that fifth starter spot, and obviously it's Sanchez right now, but I'm going to kind of hit you with, you know, there's kind of, I think, four avenues we could probably reasonably expect 
uh, down the line. Who do you think is the fifth starter at the end of the year? Is it Aaron Sanchez, Tyler Beattie, Alex Wood, or do one of the prospects like a Sean Jelly or Tristan Beck break through? Ooh, you know, I, like a part of me is, is hoping Beattie is back. You just never know after Tommy John surgery yeah. how long it's going to be. He, right? looked, that, he was um, one too, right? Reading into spring training before Tommy John. I was really excited to, to see what, what, what he looked like because he was someone who looked like he was really benefiting, you know, from, from what the, the coaching staff was doing with him. You know, he, he actually has a lot of similarities to Gaussman in terms of being a guy who's always had premium fastball velocity and then like one good, uh, breaking up one good off-speed pitch, the, the curveball, obviously, that, you know, it's just had inconsistencies with command and control. And I was kind of hoping we could see a jump from him. And yeah, it's the same, same kind of with me where I really hope, you know, BD can have that jump. But again, yeah, like you said, coming back from mm-hmm. Tommy John, it's difficult to have too much expectations. Yeah. So like, I'm hopeful for that. But if, if he's not in the picture, then I'm going to go with my man jelly just because I like watching that kid pitch and uh as a person who works in sports media he gives some of the best interviews like he is just a really fun I know that like I know there's gonna be like some curmudgeons that are like talk about his performance on the field who cares what he's like off the field but you know what it's the whole picture of the guy yeah like (laughs) and and he's got he's got stuff he's really he's really good uh, on the mound as a starting pitcher. So I'm, I'm hoping maybe like a little more seasoning from him and giving him an opportunity um, this season at the end of the year. I think it'll be, I think if, if we, if we're, you know, naming somebody else other than what we have right now, I'm, I'm hoping for, for Sean Jelly to be on the team just because um, it, can you tell, like, I'm a softy for something like I've gotten to know him and he's such a nice guy. Like I hey, really you know want that. him to do well. It's such a, it's such a like a homey like a homey thing to say, but yes, I'm a homer and I don't care. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and you know what? It's I think we should want to root for good people. Like I don't do like this. Is, yeah, that's one thing that good people get upset about reporters who make those comments. It's like we're giving you more reason to root for for these players, you know, because they're they're being you know it's one more thing to kind of connect with. I think you know the Giants need to get Sean Jelly to to San Francisco because I hear the Warriors need some big man depth as well. <laughs> no, he'd be the second tallest player on their roster. So, you know, it might be. It'll be funny when he's walking around the city and people think he's like one of the Warriors. And yeah. he's going to have to be like, no, I've, I play for the team over at, you know, 30 King. We'll have to get him a, G, <laughs> a G not... contract for them. So you can just say that. You can... <laughs> yeah. But why not, why not make it a little weird? Let's let's uh, get some Randy Johnson-esque, you know, yep. hype on the team and bring in this kind of starter. So. Uh, and you know what? It helps soften the blow a little bit when there's a mistake or two made um, by guys that you genuinely like, right? Like yep. you're like, ah, oh, that that kind of stunk that he gave up that run, but I like this kid. I want him to do well, and and you you just kind of give him you give him more chances to keep winning you over. So it, I, that's also one of the reasons why I pull for guys like that. Yeah, <laughs> I want I want another reason. It just be the, the contrast, like it, it when and obviously it might not be this way, but when Sean Jelly gets pulled and replaced with Reyes Maranta, just visually, you know, watching that, <laughs> I can't imagine being a batter watching this like seven foot. Uh, you know, righty with this, you know, low nineties fastball, you know, command breaking ball. And then, you know, Reyes Maranta comes in with, with his, with his stuff. I, I think that'd be 
that'd be fun. That'd be entertaining TV. You know, that that's, it's an entertainment yeah. business. Right? Or a meeting on the mound where, you know, Jelly <laughs> is just like, everyone's at his shoulders or something like that. that. And you can just, <laughs> and it will look like a dad talking to little leaguers is what it will look like. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't even considered that. That, that, that. That's fantastic. But yeah, so, you know, we're touching on kind of all the, you know, facets of, of the roster and obviously, you know, you mentioned Elliot Ramos. There's obviously hope that, you know, some prospects, you know, Bart Ramos, you know, Will Wilson or someone like that, that do break through um, by the end of the year. But what are your kind of like, what's your benchmark for what makes like a successful 2021 season for the Giants? Like, like, what are you looking for from the big league roster? And, you know, it might be wins and losses. It might not be wins and losses. It might be certain players performance, but, you know, what are kind of your benchmarks or what are you, you know, looking for to see, that, all right, they're on track to maybe contend more closely for a wild card in 2022 or 2023, and mm-hmm. maybe the division in 2023, um, or, or, you know, where do you kind of fall in your expectations, I guess? Uh, my expectations, I, I, the expectations I have for this team, I, I'm not like thinking that we're going to finish second or first in mm-hmm. the NLS, you know, I'm not, I'm not that kind of that much of a homer, but I, I do, we're, you know, we're, we're projected, they're projected to finish, you know, third. So I'm hoping that's, that's where they finish, you know, and if they do better than that, great. But if they finish, you know, behind the diamondbacks or the Rockies, it's going to be like, Whoa, we got a lot more work than we thought. Right. Mm-hmm. With, the, with the guys that we have on the team. So finish where they're projected to finish, maybe finish like, I would, I, I even said this on the podcast that we do. I, I, I said, I want to see them finish 500 just because mm-hmm. it'll be a nice uptick for them to, to, to get, I don't know, just some momentum, at least some, um, some base ground for this franchise. Let's build from here. Let's now like, like, okay, we're middle of the pack of the division. We're finishing 500 next year. We've got even hotter hitters we've got more kids coming up let's let's build off of that because now we've got we've got some of the foundation guys to add the new ones in there too the ones that know how to win now and we can bring in those other kids and teach them like this is where we are and we're only going up from here and then i would like to see you know an an all-star or two that would be that would be nice it'd be nice to see that uh so hopefully we see some orange and black black position players uh on the all-star team this year is what i'm also hoping for what about you mark what are your expectations 500 (laughs) is kind of the barometer for me as well i think you know um i had carrie crowley on on the pod i want to say i guess a month ago now i don't know at some point in the past and and he mentioned that you know this would be the longest stretch of under 500 seasons for the giants i believe if they um finished under 500 this year and so you know, beating 500 kind of in the historical sense. But I, I think also when you look at the model, you were kind of all, I think, you know, Giants fans are, are hoping for this team to have. I think you have to look, you know, to 2009. And obviously they're building in a very different way than, you know, the mm-hmm. last, the, than the dynasty was built from. But, you know, it, it, while 2010 is the World Series year and it was their first playoff run in so long, 2009, I want to say they finished with 85 or 86 wins, right? They're in the wild card race until relatively late in the season when they faded in September. And I, and I think, you know, it, it's, it's easy to overlook that when, when we think about this team, when it, when it kind of narratively, it feels like, oh, this team came out of nowhere in 2010 and, you know, 
beats the Padres for the division after trailing the season and then goes on to win the World Series. But in reality, this was a system that was building, that it wasn't just Buster Posey and Madison Bumgarner making their debuts in 2010, but there was, you know, Matt Cain and Tim Lincecum and players like that who are already established, you know, Romo in the bullpen and all of these pieces that, you know, they were the finishing touches on that contender, right? And I Mm -hmm. think that it's important for the Giants to get some certainty. Like, I think that's one thing where, you know, if Yastrzemski were to have a bad year, right, that would be really unsettling for the future just because then you don't know what you necessarily have in right field. Right. Where like, if you have the players who've been good the last two seasons who are under team control or even just last season to kind of replicate that. So the the giants have some certainty as they head into free agency, where for all intents and purposes, the expectations are, they should spend, they better spend giving what they've done um, with the budget over the past couple of seasons. And you know, having that certainty at certain positions makes it so much easier to go, all right, we are going to target, you know, whether it's a Corey Seager or, you know, Noah Syndergaard, if he has, you know, this is different players for different spots. I think finishing over 500 is kind of the broad goal, but I think more specifically for me, it's getting that certainty, right? If, and, you know, you may have to pay him a lot of money, but Kevin Gaussman can replicate his 2020 season so they can go, all right, he's a front rotation starter. We're willing to extend him for this next run. Or, you know, Logan Webb solidifies himself as a mid-rotation arm. Like, I think things like that are what I'm really focusing on, too, because, you know, I, did, I do feel like, and this happened a lot with, you know, we've seen this with the outfield prospects for, you know, years now, whether we go back to the Jared Parkers and the, you know, Mac Williamson's and, and players before that, you know, that, the Giants would get caught in these situations where, you know, a player might get a debut, but only make like 50 to 100 plate appearances. They'd go back to AAA, they'd perform well. Maybe they'd come up and have a good 50 game stretch or 50 plate appearance stretch or whatever. But, and so you'd always be caught in this, like, well, maybe this is the year Parker puts it together, or maybe this is finally the year. And so you'd be left in this limbo where the Giants couldn't make a final like decision to make the player the everyday starter heading into the next season or whether they needed to get a proven option. So they'd go with these in-between things. Um, and I feel like that's the position I really don't want this team to get caught in where they're unsure about, you know, players, whether it's a, a starter or, or, or a prospect, if Elliot Ramos does tear it up at AAA and makes his debut. So I think that's the thing for me is like, I just want to see the foundation, like you mentioned, and kind of see there be some like solid ground for, uh, all right, we know the left fielder or right fielder, right? Now we need the center fielder or vice versa or something to that effect. So I, I can start, you know, looking ahead to free agency and being like, or to the trademark and being like, all right, these are the players we need to target. Because right now it does kind of feel like uh, there's a smorgasbord of ways that, that this roster can be built, which is fun and exciting, but also like incredibly uncertain and makes it really hard to look at a team like the Dodgers and Padres and be like, they can compete with them anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you also have to look at the farm system that all three of those teams have. It's also, you know, Giants have one of the better farm systems in the league right now, but right there, they're, they're slightly better than the Dodgers, according to like, you know, uh, whoever, Mm -hmm. according to their opinion. And then, but the Padres are still ranked above them. So it's, it's, you know, this is also what we need to worry about is the fact that they're not those two franchises aren't going anywhere and yep. they're in they're in the division with the giants so it's it's about laying that foundation like we just talked about and maybe you know bringing back some of that magic that transferred over from 2009 to 2010 
like you mentioned. Um, and hopefully that that comes with where we see some of those parallels where this year in 2021, you know, uh, it's an odd year. So let's call it a building foundation year and just look at it that way. And maybe then Giants fans will uh, have a better not so torture <laughs> way of looking at Giants baseball. Maybe if we just look at it as this is the year of building a foundation and and let's let's keep that in perspective as we move forward. And then maybe we'll all be a little bit happier people. <laughs> Definitely. I think that's a perfect way, perfect note to end this uh, podcast. Thank you uh, for joining me uh, th- th- this afternoon. Where can the people listening uh, keep up with your work and follow you on social media? Uh, social media, I'm on Twitter at Therese Vignal. I also work with some other crazy kids uh, from our TV show, Triples Alley for NBC Sports Bay Area. Uh, we're on, you know, podcasts as well called Shelter on Base. So if you if you can't get enough Giants baseball podcast after listening to this, you can then go listen to Shelter on Base with some other um, some other fun baseball Giants fans as well. Uh, but thanks, Mark. This was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for taking the time and thank you to everyone at home uh, for listening. This has been the 23rd episode of Sound the Foghorn to stay up to date on all the latest Giants news, rumors and reports. Make sure to check out our work over at aroundthefoghorn.com. And of course, make sure to give us those five star reviews. If you do, make sure to include a comment with a question and I'll make sure to ask it and answer it uh, alongside my guest on a future episode. I'm your host, Mark DeLuke. You can follow me on Twitter at Mad DeLuke. That is M-A-D-D-E-L-U-C-C-H-I. And as always, stay safe. And until next time, have a wonderful week.